Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Marnie Venge, a podcaster, novelist, and mental health advocate who enjoys the unusual, eerie side of the Sooner State. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast. Today, I'm here with Marnie Venge, who's a podcaster, a novelist from Norman, Oklahoma. She is the creator of Eerie Oki a podcast that explores urban legends, true crimes, hauntings, and weird or dark history in the state of Oklahoma. Part of her platform is speaking about her battle for mental health. Her writing ranges from short horror stories to contemporary romantic suspense novels, all of which are primarily set in Oklahoma, and several of which will be available next year. Welcome to the show, Marnie. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited. I'm so glad to have you here. And so this is my office. What do you think? I love it. I love the chairs. Like they're so, I I love them. Oh, right. So the chairs are great. So good choice, Christy and the girls at home. Yes, very good choice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you may know we start off each episode with a kickoff question and you've chosen yours. Yeah. And then we'll just see where the conversation takes us. Okay. All right. So here we go. What are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? Definitely, um, I picked this because it's something that I'm so passionate about using the platform that I've got to talk about. And for me, that would be my diagnosis with um, bipolar disorder that I got when I was, I believe, 22 years old. And that uh, I felt like my life was over at that point because everything I'd ever heard about bipolar disorder up until then had been like in a Criminal Minds episode, like the bad guy has got bipolar disorder and he's a crazy murderer and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, movies use it a lot. A lot of horror movies use it. Um, It's very uh, sensationalized, I think, in the media. And so that was a very devastating diagnosis for me at that time. And I really did not know that I would survive it or get better even. I was I found an article at one point during those early days where someone had, I don't even know if this was someone who was a doctor or anything, but I found this article on the great internet and they said that bipolar disorder that only gets worse with time is what the article said. And so I'm like, well, that's looking back on that now, it makes me really angry that that's out there because number one, it's not true. And for someone who is newly diagnosed, that's even more devastating to find out this may only get worse. So yeah, that has been probably the biggest struggle that has shaped me um, as a person and as a creative person. Um, I think that's probably number one. Yeah, and this and you said this was at twenty three that you found out and twenty two. Twenty two, and you were officially diagnosed. Yes. And then you come across this article in your research. Yes. Because who wouldn't want to right. research it? And this is the information that you run into. Mm-hmm. And, and it said you felt like your life was over. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so there's a story from there to here mm-hmm. because this has been formative to you. So what are some of those early struggles and, and what are some of the, the ways that you've learned to cope with uh, bipolar or manage it or come to terms with it? So um, back when I was very first dealing with it, the first time I can remember 
knowing that something was different about my brain, I was probably 11 years old. And I, um, that was the first time that I had ever hurt myself as a way to deal with the pain I was feeling. And, um, that progressed as I got older, when I was in high school, that progressed into cutting and that sort of thing. Um, and then when I was 21, I had my first manic episode, which was a completely new experience for me. Um, and for anyone who is not familiar with bipolar disorder, it's characterized by mania and depression and the mania and also mixed states, which I'll talk about that too. But, um, mania for some people can feel really, really good, but for some people it feels really bad. Um, but it's a high, if that makes sense. It's like maxing out your credit cards or, um, doing anything that might be highly risky behavior in a way that feels very out of control. Um, and for some people it just manifests as like starting a whole bunch of projects that never get finished. Um, which is probably one of the least harmful ways that it manifests, but like the credit card thing and like risky activities that can be devastating to you in your life. Like those consequences last more than just the day to months that that manic episode lasts. And when I was 21, I had my first manic episode and, um, kind of did all of those things that go along with that. And then when I was about, I was 22, I got really depressed and to the point that I was considering suicide and I ended up at the hospital. And it just so happened that my psychiatrist at the time, who is not my psychiatrist now, was the doctor attending to the psych ward at Norman Regional where I was at. And um, I stayed there for a week, uh, didn't get a whole lot of treatment, but when I was discharged, it said bipolar disorder on my paperwork. And that was news to me. That had never been shared with me. This is the psychiatrist I've been seeing since I was about 16. Um, and so I asked her about it when I saw her the next time in her office. And she said, well, I didn't want to upset you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That reaction, <laughs> that was that was my reaction too. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, so you wouldn't tell someone if they had diabetes or cancer, you know, because you don't want to upset them. That kind of, that was very upsetting to me that she felt it was okay to medicate me for something that I was not even aware that I had. And, uh, so I sought a new psychiatrist who I'm with to this day. Um, and that was, that was a big turning point, but that was one of the early kind of challenges, I guess, was accepting that diagnosis when my doctor is not even being honest with me about it. And then on top of like the messages you get from the media about bipolar disorder and my life was kind of a wreck at that point. And so thinking that it might not ever get better was an easy idea to buy into at that point. So Right. And that's an important point. So you've come through a lot. Yes. I mean, there's a lot to unpack and we can certainly go yeah. into as much of okay, it as yeah. you want to. Yeah. Because I enjoy that. As someone some of our listeners may not know, but I've also got a history of, of mental illness and struggle with depression. Uh, I've had a, a suicide attempt in my past at about 20 years old. And then uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. So uh, I'm, I'm really comfortable in, in sharing space for these conversations. They matter so much. They do. And they're a big part of who we are. You know, and, and the more that we can have conversations like this, I think the, the better off all of us are. Yes. Because there's a lot of us out there suffering maybe in silence or without resources or just feeling alone. Yes. And, and you know what? You're not, if you're listening. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure exactly where I was going to pick up on, but um, 
coming through the things that you came through at that point in your life, 22 years old, oh, not being told what your diagnosis was, yes. right? Yes. And then uh, found, finding what you found on the internet, that, that seems like a life sentence. Or yeah, exactly. Daunting to say the least. Mm -hmm. um, but then you, you continue to take action because you mentioned you got another psychiatrist and this sounds like there was, you know, you continued to move in a direction towards uh, mental health and wellness. So yes. how, how did you progress in that early part of your journey? Um, one of the things that my therapist recently said to me that I felt like was one of the nicest things anyone has ever said to me, um, she said that part of my story is that even when I had no hope, I didn't give up. And that was really important for me to hear someone say that about me, I think. And that was kind of where I was at. Uh, I, um... I got to a point where I was drinking a lot to deal with everything that I was going through. And there also was a coexisting diagnosis that I wasn't aware that I had at this point. Um, and then in, I want to say 2013, 2012, I ended up back in the hospital um, for a second time when I felt suicidal. Um, and my cousin, he had just experienced losing his grandma, who was someone that was very close to him. And they asked me at the hospital, they said, what reason for living do you have? Because that's typically a question they'll ask when they'll, you know, they'll say, well, what's a reason you have for living to kind of remind you why you're trying to get better, that sort of thing. And I had promised him that I would never leave him because as that night that his grandmother died, he came and he ran to me and hugged me and said, please promise me you'll never leave me. And so I did. And, um, I really feel like that was why at that point I sought treatment again instead of, you know, the alternative. And um, anyway, so in the background of all of this, let's go back a few years. When I was 20, um, I was sexually assaulted at a party. Um, it was very similar to what happened to Chanel Miller, the girl that just came forward about her identity in the Brock Turner case. Was very similar to that and I kept that a secret for five years did not tell a single person and the few people that I opened up to it a little bit about made sure to remind me that it was it's definitely my fault kind of they these were people who were close to me they made sure that I knew exactly how they felt about this even though they didn't know that that was what had happened to me at that point um, so that's going on in the background, um, dealing with this like PTSD and bipolar disorder, but still I'm struggling very, very much to deal with it. Um, so I get out of the hospital that time and I'm just really like struggling, struggling, struggling at this point, just, just to make it one day at a time. Like it, it was literally a thing where if I could make it to sunset, like that was good. That was just a good day. And then in 2015, I ended up in day treatment because the PTSD had gotten to the point that I was having panic attacks every 30 minutes and I was having to just lay in bed all day. Um, and so I went to day treatment, which was a new experience for me. And for anyone that is thinking about doing day treatment, I highly recommend it because I feel like you get more attention, not attention, but, um, a better management of your symptoms and more individualized specialization to help you with whatever you're going through. Because I stayed in that for six weeks and I didn't have to spend the night there. I got to go home at the end of the day, which was really, really nice because anybody who's been hospitalized knows that's even a big traumatic thing. You know, you're facing this trauma of suicide 
And then you're facing this trauma of being ripped out of the environment you're comfortable in, almost like you're being punished kind of in a way. So um, day treatment was very beneficial for me. And um, I realized a lot of the things that I had not been dealing with were PTSD on top of this bipolar disorder, which was causing all kinds of chaos in my life. Um, and when I got out of that, that treatment, it was really a turning point for me in dealing with everything. That was kind of um, the point at which I really realized that I wanted to be in control of these two diagnoses and not have them control me. So that was very much a, um, a turning point for me, I would say. That's a huge turning point. And, and so in your, in your journey, you, um, you know, from the, the most recent thing you shared with us is that in day treatment, you know, you still had, this, these are my words, you still had some of the routines of your life. You mm-hmm. still had some familiarity. Yes. And, but you were also able to have access to these, um, these treatments, this, these tools, these tips, the, these, the support that you needed yes. to, to come to terms with and really realize it was PTSD. This was something different that yes. was affecting your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when you did that, as you continued to make progress, you went back. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going back in our mm-hmm. conversation remembering that you said uh, your, your psychiatrist, I think, told you that you know, even when you didn't have hope, you continued to press on. Yes. Yeah, perseverance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to have hope. Now, this is me right. talking about my own experience also. This isn't a mental health expert talking to yeah. you. Right? But, but I can relate to your experience uh, directly that sometimes hope may disappear for a while. But that's just, that's just a thought. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's something in us that often will continue to go anyway. And we're both sitting here as examples of, of why it's worth it. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying, Marnie, is that you were able to learn... Um, some skills and and understand that there was these uh, dual diagnoses going on and that there were different ways to come to terms with them and uh, this was a pivot point for you very much so and so what was it about this experience that seemed like you know I want to be in control of this what what was the switch that seemed to flip if you can identify it sometimes we can sometimes we can't but I don't know if I I don't really know if I can identify it yeah but at that point um when I was going to the hospital every day, I would go at about seven o'clock in the morning and then come home at about four o'clock. It was almost like having a job. Like that was my job for six weeks was showing up at the hospital Monday through Friday. Um, and at first I remember being very angry and resentful of the treatment, being very like confrontational with the therapist there. Um, and I think that it just, There was one day in therapy that just really brought home to me how sick I was. And I think that it was just, it was during that time also that, um, and I've talked about this a little bit with my, my podcast audience. Um, I was listening on the way there and on the way home every day to a podcast called what say you that was made by two of the impractical jokers. And I just like, I, I love that show anyway. Like I, it was It was the only thing, um, that podcast and the Impractical Jokers TV show were the only two things that could make me forget for a second what I was going through during those six weeks. And I leaned into that hard. Like I, I bought every season that was available on DVD. I listened to the podcast, like constantly just put myself, immersed myself in that. And 
I kind of think that I carried that forward with me as I got well and I started wanting to create. Um, I don't know that that was necessarily like a, it was kind of like, um, someone once told me a story about someone who survived the Holocaust and I'm not at all comparing what I went through to the Holocaust or anything, but one of the ways he got through it was saying, I, he pictured himself telling his story of getting through it to a crowd of people after it was over, even though it was still going on. And I kind of, in the back of my mind, I was thinking maybe someday I can create something and I can tell someone you can come from this point and you can get well and you can make things that help people get through that point too. And I think that was kind of, for me, that was that moment. Yeah, that's so well said. Thanks for going there. And you know what, as I'm reflecting and listening to you, I'm thinking of Viktor Frankl, mm-hmm. you know, man's search for meaning, human beings search for meaning, you know, and he was a Holocaust survivor yeah. and came back and then started the, uh, uh, I think it's called logotherapy, uh, which is meaning therapy. And his, his basic idea was from his own experiences is, is that if we can find a sense of meaning, even in our most dire circumstances, if there, if we can sense some opportunity in the future, some, we may not sense it in the present moment, but if we can sense something about the future, it may not be hope, but it may be meaning. And so I'm hearing that, that thread of meaning and purpose is another word. That purpose is the outward expression of the meaning that I, maybe I can share this experience with someone else and help them mm-hmm. to have more meaning and an opportunity to move forward. And so I so relate to that on a personal level. And my hope is that anyone who's out there listening right now... Um, you know, uh, find what works for you. You're, you're, you're hearing what's worked for Marnie and what works for me. Definitely lean hard into the resources that are out there. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, if you're not sure of where to turn, definitely look to mental health care experts and uh, therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists. But there's people in your life that you can talk to about these things. And uh, more often than not, they're going to be able to relate. There's a lot of us out there that have been through things that, uh, that are willing to talk with you about it. So I appreciate your courage in sharing this part of your story. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good to share. I think that for me, sharing is part of my healing mm-hmm. too. It's very benefit. You know, people say that's very brave and stuff like that. And I, I want to tell them, well, I get something out of it too. Like I, you know it very much, it's very affirming to tell your story and have someone look at you and say, me too, which is where the whole hashtag me too came from in that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true for any struggle, any trauma that you're going through, like just to hear someone else say me too is very powerful. Like just knowing that you're not alone. And one of my favorite things to, um, say and tell people about my story is that something that really gets under my skin is when people say everything happens for a reason. Because I do not buy into that idea at all. I don't, I, don't I, I don't think that that's true at all. No. But I think it's up to us to find purpose in the suffering. I think that that is, if we can find meaning in it, that's what matters. Not that everything happens for a reason. I love that. That's so important. And there will be those that are listening that don't agree with that. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, not that I have to, but I do. Yeah. Because once you've suffered so deeply that there's <laughs> yeah. nothing left, you know, you've worn, a, you've worn away the bedrock foundation of your life. There's right. nothing there. 
Uh, once you've experienced the void for long enough, then when you come out of that, you have a pretty clear vision, and it sounds pretty similar all the, around the world. You know? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the benefit to suffering fully. You know, <laughs> yes, you can live fully. It's really ironic. I don't know why it works that way, but it is true for yes. some reason. It is. It is true. <laughs> Well, Marnie, as, as, uh, as we kind of take a breath here and things, I want to let you choose a direction next. I would love to hear more of your story if you'd like to continue on this uh, track. But I also want to make sure and give you the opportunity to talk about all of your other exciting stuff, the, the podcast, the Irioki podcast, the, the books that you're writing, the other collaborations you may have going on, and the events that you've been at recently. So I would love to talk about all that stuff. Okay, I mean, great. I, well, yeah. let's, let's just start. How about Irioki? Tell us a little okay. bit about that So what's um, going on there. When I, I guess I can start with how it started. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was super busy with his job. And he, I mean, he was busy to the point that he had a corporate job, but it felt like he was in the military. He was gone that much. And like there was one year he was gone six months out of the year with a corporate job. Yeah. And so we didn't get a whole lot of time together when I was younger. But one of the times that we did have together was in the evenings when he would come home from work, he would get on his computer and he would turn on the AM radio. And then at a certain point in the evening, Coast to Coast would come on. And I don't know if anybody is familiar with Coast to Coast, but basically Coast to Coast is like people call in with these wild stories like UFOs and Bigfoot and like conspiracy theories and all this stuff. And my dad used to say to me, um, he would say, now you can come in here and you can listen to this with me, but you got to put on your tinfoil hat. And <laughs> so, and at the time I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but I, you know, I would go in there and I would listen and we would talk about the stories and stuff. And, um, and then my grandma, when I would stay with her, probably at an age when I was not old enough to really be watching this on Saturday night, she would let me watch the X-Files with her. And I just, I think that that was probably where my love of like spooky, weird stuff came from. And, um, I got to a point where I wanted to start a podcast and I was kind of at a loss for what to do because I was, there are so many podcasts out there. And, um, I was like, if I do another true crime podcast, you know, that kind of, I don't really know what I have to contribute there. That's not already being offered, which is not a reason to not do a creative pursuit, but I was just kind of trying to find a, a niche or a niche. I don't know how to say that, but to find one that was true to who I was and also something that I could stay excited about for a while. And um, one day I just, it just kind of dawned on me, you know, Oklahoma and spooky stuff. And cause I know there's a lot of spooky stuff in Oklahoma and uh, yeah. So that's kind of how it came about. Um, and then I just started recording. I got about four episodes recorded and then I started releasing them and just kept recording every week. And we're at the 35th episode came out today. So yeah, so it's pretty, pretty exciting. That is very exciting. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons, honestly, it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast now. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, a mutual friend uh, mm -hmm. told us, told me about it and I knew that you had it, but told me more about it. And then I listened in. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Thank you. So I told everybody else about it. <laughs> Thank you. And then I said, I'm going to do something. And so uh, I got inspired by what you're doing. That makes me feel so good. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it really is. And so I definitely wanted to have you on the show. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about, about the show. What, what kind of stories are you covering? What, what are the more spooky stories or the more interesting ones to okay. you or, or however you want to um, cover it? Let's see. Okay. So basically the way I figure out what I'm going to do is it falls into one of those categories we talked about at the very beginning, which is like 
Oklahoma, true crime, urban legends, um, weird or dark history of the state, um, and hauntings. So it can, it can kind of, it's kind of a broad umbrella, but narrow also at the same time. Um, and as far as like the spookiest thing, let's see. Um, one of the coolest things, this is not the spookiest, I'm, I'm sure I'll think of a spooky thing in a second, but I just did an episode with someone who is from Enid and she shared with me that there is a urban legend surrounding John Wilkes Booth dying in Enid instead of dying in the barn that he supposedly, that according to traditional history, he died in. Um, and this urban legend is so much fun. Like it is, it's got all of these, um, it's got all of the great hallmarks of a fun conspiracy urban legends type story. Like, uh, one of the things is supposedly, um, John Wilkes Booth had a scar on the back of his neck from a sword hitting him there during a play. Cause he was an actor. He was a very famous actor too, which is a very interesting aspect of the story because you think about a very famous acting family, which we have several of those in Hollywood today, like the Sheens and um, the Baldwins and stuff like that. So to imagine a person from a very famous, very visible family doing what he did is crazy to think about. There wouldn't be another headline for a year. Like that would, you know, it would be, and then for that person to disappear, kind of to not be seen for, I think it was 12 or 14 days before they killed him. And, um, anyway, so this, this body that they pulled out of the barn did not have that scar, but the man who died in Enid that claimed to have been John Wilkes Booth did have that scar. And there's some very compelling details that are very fun and very like, um, just make you kind of get excited about it and understand why people come all the way from Japan to see this apartment that's above the Garfield furniture store in Enid, which is the room where this man died. So that's one of the most fun ones. Um, some of the, one of the, okay, so this is one of the most spooky things that's happened during the course of making this podcast. Um, I got the opportunity to go to the Stone Lion Inn and I don't know if you're familiar. Um, it's a, it's a bed and breakfast in Guthrie and it's about, I think it's about a hundred years old. It's only had three owners in the last century. Um, and one of those owners is Becky Luker who she's actually been on ghost hunters, stuff like that. They've come out there to investigate and found some stuff and you can watch all that on YouTube, see all that stuff. Um, and I went out there to interview her and she was very gracious and gave me a private tour of the place. And it's so cool. You should definitely go check it out if you get the opportunity and they do murder mystery dinners there, um, on the weekends anyway. Um, so we're doing this interview. I bring my podcast recording stuff out to the stone line and I plug it in and we get to talking and I had absolutely no intention of doing any kind of ghost hunting that day. And it was the middle of the day. She and I were the only people in the building. Um, and there was one point in the podcast where we were talking about the playroom on the third floor and her children playing up there and the fact that there is supposed to be a spirit up there. And so I listened to this podcast as I'm editing it twice. Cause I listened to it once while I was putting it together. And then once with my mom, because she wanted to hear it before it went live, she was very interested in it. And neither of us heard anything remarkable on the recording. The next morning I woke up and a listener had contacted me on Facebook and she said, have you listened to this episode? And I said, yes, you know, twice. And I, you know, I'm like, what I, I'm thinking there's some kind of 
problem with the episode. And I'm thinking, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) And she goes, she tells me the timestamp and she says, go and listen. So I get my Bluetooth speaker out and I turn it all the way up and get my computer out, get it right to that timestamp. And sure enough, there is a third voice that comes in on the podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I just got to chill. Seriously. Yes. yes. There is a third voice. Um, there is debate within the Erie Oki community as to whether this is a nice spirit or a not so nice spirit, because some people heard come play and some people heard go away. So I think come play probably because of what was being discussed at the time. Um, and also, uh, they've never had anything any kind of malicious activity at the stone line in it all seems very um playful and just kind of like trying to interact in some kind of way so that was probably one of the coolest things that's happened in the creation of the podcast because it was totally totally like not even trying to get an evp which is what that's called the electronic voice phenomenon and um I had people contact me that are listeners of the podcast that said they were so jealous because they've been trying to get one of these for years and haven't been able to get one. And they were like, and you just hit record and there it is like class A EVP. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's for all to hear. This has been recorded. And so uh, on this, on this note, because there's going to be some people excited, right? Yeah. Not that they can't go out and Google, but how do they find the Irioki podcast? Let's tell them right um, now. If they're any, going to check it out. any podcast platform, it's, it's available through Anchor. So they mm-hmm. distribute to, I think, nine different podcast platforms. So like Stitcher and Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. Those are the big ones that people use. Um, it's available on all of those. It's available on anchor.fm slash um, if you want to listen to it on your desktop or whatever, but yeah, you can find it that way. So. And, we'll, and we'll have those links and more in the yes. show notes too. But yes. if the people want to click right now, then you can go check it out. Yeah. Okay. So this is awesome. And you're up to episode number 35. Yes. And that just as of today, as of today, that that's the one that, that went live. Yes. And that was a, wow. an interview with a Bigfoot hunter. No way. Yes. So that was, that is something, um, I love so much someone recently, I was recently interviewed by the Metropolitan Library about what I'm doing. And, um, one of the things that Sheldon told me, he is the podcaster for the library. He has a friend who got kind of involved in the Bigfoot community. And he said to him, he said, Sheldon was like, so do you believe? And the guy said, um, well, I don't believe, but I believe that they believe. And I find that infinite, infinitely more fascinating. And I think that that's kind of where I, because I want to believe. I have an X-Files poster in my, in my office that says, I want to believe. Um, but I think it's so fascinating, the psychology of belief and like all of the things that go along with it. And it's, it's just fascinating. So In yeah. and of itself. Yes. Right? Yes. And then you have the subject right. matter. Yeah. Yeah. Which is curious and fascinating mm-hmm. in and of itself. Well, that's cool how those two worlds collide for you. Yeah. So there's some insight. Now, um, I want to make sure and, and hit some of these other areas if we want to go there. But we can hover on Irioki okay. too. So some other ideas we could go into your writing life okay. if you want to hit some of that. Yeah, we can talk about okay. that. Okay, yeah. So th- what are um, you writing about and, and uh, what have you written before? How about that? So I have written four novels. Um, the first novel that I wrote was a um, psychological thriller slash romantic suspense novel. And I actually... Um, took that novel to New York City and pitched it at Thriller Fest, face-to-face, sitting in front of eight different agents, saying, 
hey, this is what I've written, and I had three minutes to get my point across, and they would say yes or no right then, and seven out of eight of them agreed to read it. <laughs> seven out of, out of those eight, the seven that read it, um, all rejected it, which is great, you know, yeah. but it was such a good experience to go and do that. And I like, I, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Um, but that was my first novel. And then my second novel, um, was about a cult leader in Oklahoma. It was a university professor turned, uh, self-help guru. And he ended up leading a group of people out in the panhandle. And one of his former students, went out there because she knew someone that was out on the compound that had been a very good friend of hers. And so she kind of wanted to rescue her. And that was, that was kind of what that one was about. Um, and then the third one is the first in a, um, young adult paranormal romance slash horror series. Um, and it's about a girl who ends up living with her uncle after her parents die and he's very, very rich, kind of like billionaire playboy Batman type guy. Not Batman, but billionaire, billionaire playboy who can't like get his life together. And uh, it's features like um, basically the gist of that series is that she awakens all of these urban legends and has to put them to rest. So in each book, she encounters a different urban legend and has to find a way to make it go away or put it to rest or whatever. And the one I just finished is kind of a romance, contemporary romance slash romantic suspense that is actually about um, a mass shooting that happens at a country music concert. So that has, that was really, that was a really good one, I think, to write um, just to kind of deal with some of the anxiety I have about that because I read recently that that's actually becoming something that psycholo psychologists are seeing in their office is this anxiety about that situation. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and I do have that anxiety. So that was kind of a, I'm always exploring my own issues in my writing, but that was definitely like at the forefront of my mind at that time. And it was also kind of interesting to play with um, a character whose identity was very much wrapped up in his Instagram was full of pictures of him with guns. And then he is at the center of this, shooting that happens at this concert and so it was kind of interesting to explore that oh so. that is there's a lot of layers there yes very topical mm -hmm. and then you find you have a personal relationship with uh with aspects of the story itself with the anxiety that you yes. experience do you find this is just a curiosity question do you find that the novels that you've written and the writing that you do do you have a personal stake in... Oh, absolutely. In, you almost have to, oh, right? Oh, yeah. All, but for absolutely. those that don't know, you know? Yeah. How, right. So yes. how does that spark you, your personal stake in a character or the storyline or whatever it may be? I, I think it's so funny because um, every novel that I've written, there has absolutely been someone in the novel that is based on someone that I have known in some capacity not in any recognizable way, yeah. but to me it's very recognizable because to me it's more about the, it's less about the physical characteristics or the actual details of what happened with that person and it's more about the emotional details mm. of how that person made me feel. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, uh, there. I saw a coffee cup or a t-shirt once that was like, um, I'm a writer, so be careful. If you make me mad, I might put you in my novel. Like that, which I think is so true. Like even writers who say that they're not doing that, they're doing it. Yeah, like, they have to be. Yeah, even if they don't know they're doing it, they're doing it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So they're very, very much uh, personal details that 
if analyzed, I'm sure that people close to me could identify what those books were about. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that personal connection to for other creatives that are listening in and, and you know, if you're looking at launching a podcast or writing a novel or I don't know, becoming a life coach or whatever it may be, whatever your purpose and passion might be, include who you are and what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. It makes it much more fun, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more to risk that way in mm-hmm. some ways, but when you're all into something like you are, Marnie, you're all into your podcast, you're all into your novels, and we've known each other for a little while, and I'm getting to know you a lot better now, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Uh, your passion is so obvious. Oh, you know, thank you. you know, you're so alive in what you're doing. So... Um, you, you know, you're really putting, um, I had a guest recently that said all, all the chips are in with what he's doing in, yeah. in his work. And it sounds like you're that's all where in. I'm at right now. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is where I'm at right now. I, um, yeah, I, I, that's where I'm at. Yeah. That's the great place. That's, it's the most wonderful place to live. If you don't live there, just go ahead, put your chips in and, yeah. uh, and get over it. We're not, nobody's getting out alive anyway, like, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) might as well go for what you want. That's right. That's right. There's a quote. Let's see if I can think of it real quick. It's a spiritual type quote, but it's basically this uh, old guru says, you know, I don't want to come to the end of my life in a, in a, in a physically fit body and all these savings in the bank. He said, I want to round third base and just barely make it to home plate yeah. in, a, in a bag of bones, you know, and mm-hmm. end up at home. So I love that. Yeah. That's, that's me too. You know, yeah. so, um, very good. So there's the novel part of your writing life, and you've got um, you've got events that you've been doing too. I want yes. to hit some of those. What have you been up to there? So um, one of the things that I did recently was the podcast with the library. Um, so they reached out to me and kind of wanted me to assist them with a, their October episode, which is um, like spooky stories about Oklahoma. And one of my guests who had been on the podcast was actually part of that podcast too as an interview, Jeff Provine, which he does ghost tours in the city. If you're ever looking for a ghost tour, he does a really good job. Um, He has like kind of a brilliant knack for remembering history. And it's kind of amazing to like listen to him talk about all that stuff because I'm like, how do you remember all those details? Like it's amazing. Um, But that is one thing that I did recently. And then the other thing that I was part of was the Oklahoma Scenic and Historic Art Expo or Exhibit Um, which was at the old Moore high school building. And that was super fun. Um, it was me and several other artists of different types. Like there were photographers, there were, um, and there were several different types of photographers. Like there were drone photographers and also like landscape and, um, different kind of stuff. There was someone there who, um, was a sketch artist who did some really cool stuff. And another podcast was there, um, and that was a really cool experience because it was the first time I'd ever gotten up on a stage in terms of Irioki. So that was kind of overwhelming and like a little bit scary. Um, but I had the coolest experience that night because two fans of Irioki showed up and gave me art that they had created just for me. And that was a really cool experience. Like that was kind of like um, our, the girl, she gave me a spider ring, like one of those little plastic spider rings that you get at Halloween time. She gave me and Whitney one of those. And then she gave me this little canvas that she, and I believe it was her boyfriend that was with her. And, um, they showed up and brought me this stuff and it was such a cool experience. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Custom art. Yes, yes, yeah. Fan art. Yes, fan art. <laughs> and yeah. jewelry. Yes, yes, and I, um, it's displayed in my office now. Like it, I, I, it makes me so happy when I look at it. I know because I follow along on social media. I've seen these posts, and I know yes. that those are hanging in your office. Yes. So, and we'll come to that. I want to make sure that that folks that want to get in touch with you and follow along and listen in, and Marnie's got a lot of great stuff going on. And so we want to make sure and put you in touch with her in the ways that um, and that you can follow along. Mm-hmm. So, so these are some of the events. Other events that you've got going uh, or coming up maybe in the early next year. Have you looked out that far? Or? Um, I haven't. Uh, nothing is official yet, but I'm wanting to kind of do something with my writing in, as far as an event goes. Like maybe a... Um, Something where several writers get together and kind of kind of like the art expo that we had the other night for that type of art. I kind of want to organize something like that for novelists. And I think that might be kind of cool. But there's nothing set in stone with that yet. So That sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So do you have collaborations that are going on right now with other writers or other podcasters that you wanted to mention? Um, or? I actually, there is a podcast that I was just on which is called Tales Unveiled and they actually as of the recording of this they had just put out the episode that I was on and it is I believe it's called Erie Edmund and that podcast is really fun because the two guys that make it Jeff Provine is one of them and Dennis Spielman is the other one and they play characters on that podcast so it's kind of it's a little bit different and um, kind of fun because it follows a story arc like throughout the and they do it in seasons so they just released the first few episodes of season two um and I got to be myself as a character on there and I like kind of played this role where they asked me hey do you know anything about such and such and I was like um yes I do and I can point you in the right direction kind of a thing (laughs) and so so if you want to hear me trying to be an actor like you can go listen to Tales Unveiled I definitely do Tales Unveiled yes well I'll be following along with that yes yeah yeah. and it's a super fun um they do they kind of explore ghost stories in um Oklahoma so that's pretty fun and they actually do a lot of their stuff on location um and that's really fun and then I I have also collaborated with Jay Sheldon, who has a podcast called Miscellaneous Important Stuff, where he um, talks about miscellaneous important stuff. It's kind of like a broad range of topics. Um, The latest one that he put out was about gun violence, I think, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And he and I do a lot of stuff about mental health and creativity because he, um, he has a diagnosis that he lives with, and we are very close um, friends and we've spent a lot of hours talking either in coffee shops or on the phone about the things that we've been dealing with. And so it felt very natural for us to talk about those things on his podcast. And so um, that's a really, really fun one that I have collaborated on too. So yeah. That's wonderful. And and if there are those again that are listening in and and you've got a podcast that you're running and you want to get in touch with Marnie, we'll give you some contact information in just a couple minutes. Uh, And, um, I'm I'm really interested in listening in on the on the podcast that you dropped, uh, Tales Unveiled, Miscellaneous, Important Stuff. Mm-hmm. So these are these are new to me. Podcasting is new to me. Yeah, I've lived in a pretty narrow world for yeah. the past couple of years and trying to figure out what I'm doing with this business. Mm-hmm. So and now I'm I'm like looking outward a whole lot more. Yeah. So this is really exciting to me too. That is a, that is really cool. Yeah. So and feel free to go. We've got a few more minutes. I try to keep these at about forty five okay. minutes or so, but it doesn't have to be exact. Uh, Anything else that you wanted to cover that, that you came in here to sit down and talk about that you wanted to hit while we're here? Um, 
I don't really think so. I think we, we've covered a lot of stuff. We really have. Yeah. So I'll ask you this. This is kind of a coaching question. What, what are your future goals and aspirations? Okay, so right now um, I am looking at publishing my first full-length novel. So it's going to be the one that I that I most recently wrote about the shooting at the concert. Um, and I actually just in the last couple of days have put the cover together for that. Mm. So I'm kind of excited about all of everything that's happening with that. So my goal is I haven't decided if I want to publish it before the end of the year or after the 1st of January because apparently in... Um, at least in romance, I don't know. It's probably true across the board on Kindle, but the last five weeks of the year are very slow for mm. book sales. Um, and I guess that's because everybody's doing Christmas shopping and kind of getting ready for that. And then there's a surge right there at the beginning of the year. And I think that's because a lot of people get gift cards or gift money and they want to buy books with those. So I'm kind of debating if I want to try to push for right before that period of time or push for the first week of January. So that's kind of a goal that I'm getting ready to set is that sort of in that vein. So, yeah. be, so we should be on the lookout for a new book. Yes, yes. Coming soon. Yes. Okay, by 2020. Exactly, like. yeah. Okay, okay. Very latest, the first week of January. All so. right, so something to kick off the new year with. Yes, right? yeah. Okay, well, we can definitely guide people in the right direction there. And I've got some pretty, pretty steep goals about publishing next year. So I'm hoping to publish at least four books. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is prolific. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, let's maybe with just one or two minutes, um, any tips that you would give for people that are just, that they're in, they're in the midst of this, they've jumped into writing and they want to, they want to, let's just say they want to complete their work. Okay. Just, just getting their work done. We have all these ambitions about getting published, but getting the stuff written and getting it's it complete. the most important. It is, isn't it? So yes. What, what would you just, a couple, three tips you would give? Um, Okay, so when it comes to finishing something like a novel, um, one of the most important things that I could tell someone is that small, consistent effort beats like Herculean effort every time. Mm -hmm. Like if you if you can just get up and write 500 words a day and you just keep doing that, you're going to have a novel eventually. And the other thing, one of the other things that I um, like to tell people is that inspiration is a myth. Like you might be inspired and feel really jazzed about the story when you have that first inkling of an idea, but I think that the sooner that you accept that the whole process doesn't feel like that, mm -hmm. the more likely you will be to complete something. Because I think a lot of people, um, I see this a lot on writing groups that I'm part of, which is people talking about that they start one project, but then they have a better idea. And so they start something else and I'm like, no, don't do that. Like you can't do that. That's not how it works. Like you're going to get to a point where you feel like something is a better idea because this is going to have lots of problems. Like problems will arise with a first draft. And I think just if you can just force yourself to finish it, mm -hmm. like even when it's not fun, even when you think you have a better idea, just write that idea down and put it in a drawer and stop thinking about it and think about what you're working on. Um, those are my, probably the two biggest things that I learned in completing my first novel. And especially like just those small efforts, small consistent efforts mm -hmm. are so important for any creative endeavor. If you just keep at it every day, a little bit every day, like you will get there. Absolutely, I love both of those. That speaks from experience. You can hear the experience in what Marnie's sharing with you right now. It applies to me, you know, and what I do is, is writing or, you know, songwriting or um, 
you know, thinking, well, let me do 10 more song starts. Well, you know, verse two needs to come now. Yeah, Let's go yeah. ahead and get that done. <laughs> right. doesn't matter how good it is. Just finish the work. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And that, that would probably be the third thing is like, give up on perfection. Mm-hmm. Like do not get hung up on that because yeah. nothing is perfect. Like, and the sooner I, I heard someone recently say that anything, what was it? It was something like anything worth doing is worth doing halfway well or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And it's kind of the idea that done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. And I am a big fan of that. Done is so much better than perfect. And I recently watched a talk from a guy who wrote a book called Writing Into the Dark, which he's very in, he's a big proponent of writing without an outline, which I did with this last novel that I wrote, which I had never done before. Wow. Which was an intense experience. And I loved every second of it. Like it was great. Um, but one of the things that he talks about in this talk that he did at a conference in Las Vegas was he was like, you know, you might be sitting there 10 years from now trying to write the perfect second chapter of that book where I'm sitting here on 70 novels that I've published. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and none of them are perfect, but I'm getting paid for them. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and that's the difference between, you know, he was like, at some point you just have to say, this is it. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. So just get it done. Just get it done. You're hearing it from both of us from different angles. Just do it. Do it. Yes. Okay. Well, so Marnie, this has been so awesome. How can people uh, follow along with you and uh, stay in touch with you? So um, I am on Instagram at Erieoki, which is E-E-R-I-E-O-K-I-E. And Facebook is the same. And if you happen to listen to the podcast and you really, really like it, there's also a Facebook group for the people that are like super fans of the podcast. There's about... 150 people in there um and we have a lot of fun we talk about a lot of different stuff and email irioki podcast at gmail.com those are the major ways to get in touch with me and i'll be posting stuff on the irioki accounts when it comes time for me to publish my novel so okay excellent so that they can keep in touch with all of what you're doing through those channels Okay, well, we'll make sure and have those in the show notes and just one more time Marnie, thanks for being here thank you so much for having me i had a blast You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you are meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.